0: It's the H-Dog Pod with your host, Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Hey, welcome to episode 35 the Hideki Matsui edition of the podcast. He was a legendary New York Yankee who won a World Series and was a two-time All-Star, and he wore number 35 with the Tampa Bay Rays. We're here, though, to talk about how he's a legend in another way. This is a true story. He's actually known for having a massive porn collection. No joke. He has upwards of 55,000 videos, apparently. At his first American press event, he ran out of gifts for writers, so he said, and I quote, Sorry, I'll get porn for the rest of you. Not kidding. That's absolutely true and completely hilarious. How to segue from that to my guest, Ox. Well, my guest today is a legend, but for a totally different reason, I promise. So without further ado, let's get cracking. Okay, and now welcome on a very special guest. She's been the face of SportsCenter on TSN for nearly two decades and I've known her for nearly 15 years, Bragg. She's hosted Olympic <laughs> coverage, craft celebration tours, and much more for the network. Welcome to the H-Dog Pod, Jennifer Hedger.
1: Hello, Hound Dog. Hound Dog, you know you'll always
0: be the Baconator to me, right? <laughs> actually, it's funny you say <laughs> that. Uh, actually, that's one of my questions that literally was about the Baconator story. And I think you're the only one that calls me Baconator, and that's, that's pretty awesome. Calls
1: you, still calls you the Baconator? Well... <laughs> Many, many years ago, and I would have, if I was just like thinking off the top of my head, I would have said, oh, five years ago, but it was probably more like 10 years ago. Wendy's had the Baconator with 37 pieces of bacon per sandwich, (laughs) and I believe Mike Harrison consumed what was it six seven nope. i don't want to undersell
0: this wow no no no! that'd be overselling it uh, i tried to eat five but i got done like three and three quarters and then oh, okay uh...
1: so perhaps the story has grown as the years have gone <laughs> yeah. by yeah. so i think it was seven seven bacon eaters <laughs> You consumed, which was a ridiculous amount of fast food, and uh, you were the Baconator from then on. Now that you were Hound Dog Harrison, though, that was an right That was an right Give, wasn't it?
0: Well, it was sort of like it was a Sunday night. Not, nothing was really going on, so I was like, "Oh, we're kind of bored." And I was like, "I could eat." I can't remember who I said it to. I, I can eat like you know a, a, a quite a few Baconators. Yeah. And then it was like, "All right, we'll get you five. And I'm like, well, "I'm not spending money for five Baconers. Do yeah. that." So then, Jane no Dan problem. said, uh, they, "Yeah, we'll sponsor you, and uh, we'll we'll buy them, but you have to finish all five.
1: Absolutely, we'll sponsor the Puke Fest. <laughs>
0: yeah, <laughs> uh, and I had to do work right after, immediately after. And those looked so vile by that fourth, the end of the fourth one. Oh my god! Yes. It was-
1: then you're realizing this might not have been worth
0: it. <laughs> yeah, I had two cokes too. That that's really what screwed me over. And uh, but, wh- but what a did, memory! No,
1: where did Hound Dog Harrison come from? Though that was Onrait gave you that name, didn't
0: he? No, as a as a former roommate of mine, uh, Brent. Oh. Uh, we were watching The Bachelor, uh, I think, one night, and I can't even fully remember exactly how that sort of started. But he just said, "Yeah, hey, you're a hound dog," and I don't know how I just stuck, and then uh, it's just been the way ever since. Yeah, I wish it was a more epic story, but
1: it suits you, Hound Dog. It totally suits <laughs> you.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I, I'm fascinated by uh, how you got started at TSN. Uh, yep. Tell me about that.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's been a hell of a ride, I'll tell you that. I, um, I first kind of got my foot in the door being a guest on Off the Record. I was a lofter in The Lofters, UATV, one of the first reality shows, uh, the first one in Canada. And I was um, a quote-unquote lofter, which granted me You know, Z-List status in Canada, but um, they were totally all about having Z-List guests on off the record. So I was on it and I was on it a a couple of times. And um, and Michael Landsberg actually said to me, you know, you know, your sports, uh, what is it that you want to do when you're done with this Lofters silliness? And I said, I want to work here. And I mean, he hears that all the time, I'm sure, from people who are running through the show. Mm-hmm. Um, but he said, Well, if you're serious about it, I'll introduce you to someone. So he introduced me to Mark Milliere, who I believe was in charge of Sports Center at the time. And, uh, you know, I went in and auditioned, and they said, Thanks very much. And, And kind of just kept knocking down that door, like, hey, I want to work here. Hey, I want to work here. Let me come in for another audition. And they were always kind of like, yeah, we like what we see. You're a little green. We're not really sure what to do with you. Um, And then Sportsnet actually started sniffing around and heard that I had been auditioning. And Sportsnet actually offered me a job. It was a job to do do stuff with the Blue Jays, to which I was like, oh, my gosh, okay. Um, And I remember calling TSN and saying, hey, great news. I got a job in sports. (laughs) Um, Sportsnet wants to hire me. And TSN was like, do they? Well, I think we're ready to offer you a job. And they did. They offered me a job with WTSN at the time, uh, which was a Women's Sports Network. Um, And I started hosting a show just like off the record. It was called Fight to the Finish. And we hosted, like, I think we did four or six episodes um and then the network went under <laughs> so i was oh, like no. awesome what a great decision by me <laughs> um but um wtsn went under and i was like this sucks and uh mark millier uh who was ahead of sports center at the time said well you know what we'll tsn will will gobble gobble you up it's somehow here we'll get you trained up on the on the desk and uh, gino retta and i did a bunch of rehearsals on the sports center desk together uh during a world cup whatever tournament was in 2002 there was no 2am show um for like two weeks straight so we rehearsed 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 and um and that was how it started and the rest is history
0: well that's uh yeah it's been uh, i guess it was I, I said almost two decades right about 18 years something like that
1: Yeah, 18 years. I was hard in 2002. And even though 2020 seems like it's been a decade already, it's really only been six months, I guess. If we look at the calendar, this is the longest year on record. Um, But yeah, 18 18 years. And gosh, I got to think almost at least a dozen of them with uh, the big man, Darren Detition sitting beside me. Which, uh, which which is a novel in its own yeah, right,
0: isn't it? Uh, I mean, I, I, you're leading me in the perfect uh, perfectly <laughs> into these questions I had written down. This is amazing. Uh, yeah, working with Dutchy, he's incredible. Uh, such a beauty. Uh, you yeah. gotta have some awesome stories with him, eh?
1: Yeah, I mean, the guy's just the guy's a legend. And I think I think for me, maybe it, I mean Dutch has always just been Dutch. He was he was he did the the ten when I started at TSN, and basically him and Rod Smith are are the OGs around there. Um, so when I was able to, you know, be Dutch's co-host, I was I was thrilled. I mean, it was awesome to be like, oh, I'm getting to host a big show with the big guy. Um, I describe hosting a show with Dutch. It's kind of like, it's like trying to walk a Rottweiler or a Pitbull. You know, you just sort of like hang on to the leash and you let the dog... <laughs> do what it needs to do and sniff and bark and howl and, you know, get into stuff. And you just hope that you get back from the walk and everyone's still intact and no one's been bitten, you know, type thing. <laughs> or the old analogy of taking a, taking a drink out of a, out of a fire hydrant, trying to take a drink out of a fire hydrant. It's just, he is, he is exactly what he appears off the air as he is on the air. As you know, I mean, you've known him for almost as long as I have. Mm-hmm. Um but He is a great broadcaster, you know, as much so as good. they say the great ones make it look easy. And Dutch always just looks like he's just sort of talking off the top of his head and wondering about this and and always has a great line or always has an interesting way, a fun way to read the highlight, and make it make it fun. And I think that's kind of one of the things that sometimes we forget about when we're so close to sports is we get really serious about it and we get serious about how the shows are going to look and, and how we're reporting something. And, you know, are we first? And I I think we just can get really too close to the forest on time for the trees. And Dutch is a good one to remind me and everybody else. This is fun. Sports is fun. Everybody watching at home, they had fun watching the game and now they want to see us have fun talking about it. And I think that that's a good reminder. Um, I also have been on the road with Dutch on the craft tour for many years uh, which was awesome, taking that, taking that act on the road. And, you know, he has a suitcase with, with eight extra small Gap golf shirts and eight extra small Gap t-shirts. And, <laughs> and we do this, and we just go coast to coast. And uh, his Sasky pride, obviously shows very well in the prairies um and he's just the kind of guy that people think that they know him and they do you don't have to have met dutch to feel like you know him Mm -hmm. and um and you know he's he's that guy he's he's the guy that everybody wants to sit down and have a beer and talk sports with and that is a quality that you can't teach you either just are that person or you're not and um and that's the beauty of dutch
0: yeah he's just the absolute best uh total beauty for sure
1: Total beautician, yeah,
0: yeah, definitely. Uh, and on the, on that craft tour, you must have some uh, pretty crazy stories uh, that uh, you can uh, drop. That uh, of course uh, won't get you in trouble.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, the craft tour it's just like it's like being rock stars on a on a tour bus, except we're not actually rock stars. You know, you get treated like rock stars in these small towns. Um, there's always lots of "come to my bar, we'll buy you around." and We never said no to that. Oh man, that be um, dangerous. We were we're always doing things in all the different like towns that we go to that maybe the town is is known for so like I remember we were in some small town in Alberta and we were doing barrel racing and I was doing some barrel racing and and Dutchie had to lasso a horse and you know we're all big talkers like big talkers big trash talkers how hard could it be and then the next thing you know we're both sitting on a horse looking at each other like, what the hell are we about to do? Like, people die doing this. <laughs> um, but Dutch, you know what? He got out there. He roped his calf. I got out there and I raced, raced my, my horse. I mean, I felt like I was going at least 100 miles an hour and this horse was, like, just trotting around. Um, but he's, you know what? He's a, he's a, he's, he'll do it. Um, I remember the one year we had to do bungee jumping oh, geez, um, and thank God. Yeah. I'm, I'm not a Heights person. Like I do not, I do not love Heights at all. And I was so lucky that year I was pregnant. So I had the only out that you can basically <laughs> have without being called out for being a total kitty. Um, so I was <laughs> pregnant and I was uh, moral support and Dutch jumped, man. And I give him, I give him full credit because, I think he was scared and how couldn't you have been? But he knew that he had to take one for the team and uh, and he did it, you know, the bungee jump and it was that was just such gold viz. I mean I think that that viz still lives on about with Dutch bungee jumping. Dutchy is the one who's got the uh, the biggest cojones around the sports center newsroom, so Dutch is gonna put his on the line. This is gonna be fun, man.
0: It was amazing. It was one of the greatest things I've ever done
1: in my life. We did the whitewater rafting, the kayaking. Like, there's been a lot of near-death experiences now, actually, that I look <laughs> back on the craft tour. Um, but it was such a such a fun time, It's such a so awesome to be able to actually do things socially with the people you work with. Because we spend a lot of time working, we don't spend a ton of time playing together. Mm-hmm. You know, as far as like as far as co- colleagues are concerned. Uh, so the craft tour was definitely a highlight.
0: Uh, did you ever get a chance to uh, work uh, alongside Rod Smith for a show, or no?
1: No, no, ah, I damn. never have. I've never hosted a show with Smitty. I mean, he was he he was at the Olympics, and I remember, like, you know, we would both do our gig at the Olympics, and then there'd be a decompress at the end of the day, and just being able to sit. Uh, Smitty's a big scotch drinker. I believe it's Jameson that he drinks. Oh, no. But just being able to sit down and, like, hear – hear Rod move, I can read the phone book, right? And you just listen to him and go, wow, listen to that <laughs> voice. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. matter what it is. Uh, but no, I never got to work alongside Rod, but he is, he is the OG, like that, that voice, that authoritarian, just the, his presence, like, and he can do anything. He can call swimming. He can call track. He can call the CFL. He can call a hockey game. You know, he's kind of like the, the Mike Tirico of Canada, um, I haven't heard Rod call golf, but I guarantee you he would be awesome at
0: it. Oh, I've golfed with him a couple of times and it was the greatest thing ever. It was.
1: Oh yeah.
0: We were yeah, uh, playing, just... uh, Dentonia uh, par three course. Oh yeah. That's and,
1: my whole course. Oh really? Yeah. I, I, I yeah. Used, to, used
0: to live by there. So I, I played there many times and, uh, yeah, he, uh, I think it was a fourth or fifth hole. I think it was a fourth hole. It was like 130 yeah. yards. I said, Rod, like this club, like this actually might be my hole in one. Like this is a perfect club for me. And yeah. I hit it, and as soon as I hit it, I'm like, holy crap, that's my, I might have just called my shot. And he was, like, commentating the shot as it was getting close to the hole, which was the greatest thing of all time. The
1: best. No. And it now, went to, how like, how
0: six inches from the cup. It six was like,
1: inches. It oh, like, uh, that's the hole-in-one in my book, Sound Dog. Yeah. Like, Rod, Rod <laughs> Smith,
0: he's just, yeah, like you say, he's just the best. And, uh... How can you not have a few beers after that to celebrate? Right? It was just like, oh, we got it, we got it. It was almost a whole in one, pretty much, right? So,
1: well, the best part about Dentonia too, for people who don't know, is it's a par three on the in the east end of Toronto. Some of the tea boxes are literally just like cement with yeah. like a carpet over top. Like it's it's about as keeping it real as it gets. So the fact that you. Almost had a hole-in-one on that with Rod Ski calling the play-by-play just makes it – the grittiness makes it better.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, Would have just been – I still have – have you ever had a hole-in-one before? I've never had one. I would lose my mind. I probably wouldn't be uh, alive the next day.
1: No. If I can get it within, like, 10 feet on a par 3, 10 feet of the hole, if I can get it on the green, that's a win in my books.
0: Hmm. Well, uh, it's gonna—it's looming. You just never know, right? Every time you play a par three, it's always that <laughs> yeah, potential, right? I so I saw you were actually at uh, Osprey Valley, one of my favorite places in the GTA uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, yeah. There.
1: Have you golf there?
0: Yeah, it, I love it. I, I uh, actually, uh, this is going to be a, a little bit of a brag. Uh, years ago, I had a maybe a 10-foot par putt on 18 to shoot one under, and I missed oh, it. Oh, look at you. I missed it, though. And I tapped in for par, and I was kind of upset for a bit because I was like, oh, I wanted to be under par. Yeah. And then I was like, wait a minute. I shot even par. Like,
1: come on. Yeah, no That's kidding. Amazing. So what course did you do, the Hoot or the Heathlands, or what one did you play?
0: It was the Hoot and the Toot. Was, you, only, you only ever go there when you're playing 36 holes, I find, like because it's, it's sort of a little bit out of the way, right? It's about yeah, an hour. Yeah, yeah, it's about so an hour, yeah. i played the Heathlands once or twice, but it usually is a Hoot and a Toot. I think it was the Toot that I had that on. It was uh, such great courses.
1: Yeah, they've renamed it now. There's, like, the Hoot, the two to something else. It's called the North or something, and then Heathlands. Uh, so, we did the Hoot first day, stayed the night, and then we did Heathlands the second day. Um, just beautiful and amazing how those two golf courses are totally different golf experiences. Mm-hmm. Heathlands was so hard. It's like, you oh look at the God, golf yeah. course, you're like, oh, there's no trees. Well, there's no trees. This is perfect. But if you're not on the fairway, if you're in the fescue, it is so punishing. And those greens were, like... Like you don't know where the green ends and the fairway begins. They're so big and they're so beautifully maintained. And you think, well, I'm on the, I'm on the green. And then literally you're still a hundred feet away from the from the hole. Um, but it was great. It was fun. They were wonderful to us out there. We, we were, of course, on the heels of the great James Duffy, Kyle Dubas um, face off. There was decidedly less fanfare when uh, me, Natasha, uh, um, Laura and Carrie were there. Um, but it was, it was great. It was just, and it was far enough out of the city that we felt like we were away. Mm-hmm. Um, it's rural enough out there. We stayed at Hockley Valley for the night. So yeah, it was awesome. Like my game is nowhere near good enough to be boasting about playing these courses, but I love playing so much that the fact that I suck doesn't destroy the experience for me. <laughs> it's
0: uh, it's the best. And no matter how good you get at golf, and um, I usually don't shoot around par. Maybe I'm, you know, I don't know depending on the course, but yeah. no matter how good of go- golf you get, you, the goalposts st- goal always change. You always think you could do a little bit better, yeah. and you're frustrated when you're not doing that, you know?
1: Yeah, it's humbling.
0: We brought up the Olympics earlier about uh, that 2010 uh, famous moment with John Montgomery when he won mm-hmm. uh, Skeleton Gold. Uh, that must have just mm-hmm. been a thrill when he uh, uh, buried that beer, eh?
1: Yeah, it was the it was issue in my career, dog. Huh? Like, it, it still, you know, it holds up 10 years later, and I think it's because... We didn't see it coming and everything that had led up to it. I it was day eight, I believe, of, believe of the Olympics. So if you go with day one as being the opening ceremony, we were you know, we were a week into these games and I was broadcasting from Whistler and things could not have gone worse in whistler if, if you remember the georgian loser died yeah. uh the oh. day before the game started and Beautiful. then the all this talk about this the whistler sliding center and you know the track's too dangerous it's no good and as soon as you start hearing that it's like oh my gosh um the weather wasn't great the downhill events were being postponed because of fog and inclement weather our downhillers weren't really performing to what we had sort of pumped them up to be. And I'm not saying that it's a little unfair to them, but I think because we had these home games, all of a sudden we're like, Manny osborne parody is going gonna, is gonna to medal, and Steve Day is going to medal, and all these guys are going to medal, and, and they didn't. Um, and then Melissa Hollingsworth, who was also a skeleton athlete, um, you know, she was kind of our surefire, like, oh, she's going to get gold because she was the world champion, and she faltered on her fifth run. And she ended up or on her is her fifth one or fourth one. Anyway, she ended up placing fifth. And it just felt like, oh my gosh, this is just an unmitigated disaster. And um, I remember going for my for dinner with my parents. They had come to visit me and hang out and check out the Olympics. That's cool. And I just was like complaining. I'm like, this is this is a disaster. I thought this was going to be like the greatest experience of my broadcast career. And all I do is go on air and talk about how we didn't, didn't do, didn't do anything. The Canadians haven't, haven't meddled and, and Oh, by the way, you know, everything sucks. And it was that night that John Montgomery won gold and, Paul Graham was our producer there at the time. And Paul was like, this could be, not only could this be our only gold medal in Whistler, this could be the only medal Canada wins in Whistler. So we're going to blow it up as big as we can. I don't even remember so, it
0: being that bad for Canada. I, for some reason, I, just because this moment, I guess, you know, it's seared because, in my mind. I don't even remember Canada struggling you I know,
1: we don't, right? Because that by the end of the games, we had our swagger. We had all these gold medals. Um, it totally turned around after that night. Um, and so anyways he had won and and Paul decides where we're gonna get him right coming off the gondola and he's gonna walk all the way down through the to the Whistler stream there and we'll catch him and he'll come up to you Jen and and we don't know what's gonna happen but let's just go with it like because this is this is it for us this is our Super Bowl here tonight and full credit to John you know he's just such an amazing personality he was so lovely and he just, he was just so himself in that moment, you know, he just allowed, he just allowed it to unravel the way that it did. And, um, that was him grabbing the beer, you know, why wouldn't you grab a beer and chug it on your way? This is my moment. And he was so lovely once he got up on the set and, and you know, I, I I suggested you know with uh he used to be an auctioneer and he went into the full auctioneer voice.
0: On the pint of beer, it's gold medal beer, ladies and gentlemen. It tastes
1: the sweetest you've ever tasted. Now who'd have been to buy? Who'd have been to buy? Who'd have been to five, ten, fifteen, twenty, hundred dollars? Who'd have been to two fifty to buy? We're at a thousand dollars for the pint of beer. It's special day, ladies. And a thousand, and a thousand, and a thousand, and a thousand, and a thousand. Get rid of one thousand. dollars to buy. Haul in. hold done. Sell to me. I'll take it for a thousand dollars. The auctioneer bought it. It's not supposed to happen, but I did it. To John Montgomery for one Olympic gold medal. And it was just, you know, people were singing Oh Canada and the fan and the crowd. And it was just one of those moments where you're like, wow, oh, you can't script this stuff. Um, I'm so lucky to have been here. Talk about right place, right time. And I remember it was like one o'clock by the time that night was over for us. And it was one o'clock on the West Coast. So super, super late. And um, I went back up to my hotel room and my parents were there and I was like, wow that was the best night of my broadcasting career and it's like how quickly things can change right Mm -hmm. i felt like i had a lot of the athletes i talked to including melissa hollingsworth i really had talked to them on the worst day of their lives so far it was so disappointing for them not to medal and then all of a sudden you're talking to an athlete on the best day of his life and it just it just it just made everything right and then from then on you know canada couldn't be stopped
0: yeah, it's uh, incredible. Did he finish the whole pitcher? I, I honestly can't remember. Uh, no, he uh, was
1: given like a half a pitcher, mm, and he downed the whole thing. I think some nice. of it like, fell across his face. But, <laughs> um, and, and speaking to him afterwards, like I don't think anybody's been given more free beer in their life, post-gold medal, than John Montgomery has. Oh, that's, Anywhere that's he goes, pitcher a beer for John Montgomery.
0: <laughs> that's so good, but like I said earlier, uh, so dangerous. Uh, how much did it hurt when Marty Baron hit you with the, uh, the T-shirt cannon? <laughs>
1: Oh, T-shirt candid on trade deadline day. Chad, it's coming. Oh! oh! Chad Andrew down. It sounded way worse than it was.
0: My microphone, It sounded really good, yeah. Yeah, my
1: microphone is only about six inches away from where the T-shirt, you know, um, blasted into my solar plexus so the mic picked it up beautifully like it sounded like i it sounded like an offensive line that just tackled me um it's it, it stuck a little bit but honestly i was just so grateful to not look like a complete jump chomp like i was grateful that i had caught the t-shirt um i was grateful that i i gracefully landed on the exit and then it just gave us this amazing storyline for the next year right totally to get up with the t-shirt cannon the revenge back the whole paint <laughs> gun and, and the whole nine um but you know what it's like almost trade, trade deadline days like when there's no news
0: oh, you got to yeah. give
1: the people something so again credit like james duffy always so creative always you know, realizes that if, if it goes sideways, I need to have llamas or I need to have mascots or I need to have a T-shirt gun to launch uh, into the crowd and, and and hopefully keep people watching until we do get a trade. And that was James, let's get the T-shirt gun. And what happened was James shot it first and it was kind of a rainbow, right? Like it wasn't, it wasn't that, it wasn't very hard of a shot. So then James cranked up the CO2 or whatever the, whatever the, the pressure is in it to make it go harder and he cranked it up and passed it over to Marty. And so to Marty's, you know, in Marty's defense, I don't think he realized he was going to come out of there like a, like a cannon. (laughs) Um, and, and Duffy was sort of like a bit sheepish beside him going, Oh crap, that was my fault, but all in the name of good TV. And I do, you know, I would do it again in a heartbeat because it was so memorable.
0: Oh, yeah. I had a uh, the on the podcast a little while ago, and he was saying that yeah. they told him, I think there's have been like, I don't know, five or six settings or something. And yeah. he said, you know, only put it on like setting two, like nothing higher than that. And yeah, right. like you said, he cranked it all the way to like five or six. And then yeah. obviously the shot went out and, uh, oh, man. That's, yeah, unless
1: uh, you're shooting it, unless you're 20 feet away from a female co-host, and then absolutely crank it <laughs> to five. And let's
0: just <laughs> see what happens. Oh, that was great. Uh, do you have any other like uh, hilarious, embarrassing moments uh, in your career?
1: Oh, I don't know if there's, like, singularly embarrassing things. I just feel like I'm constantly always putting my foot in my mouth. Um, The mispronouncing things is always, like, you know, you always do your best, and then there's always one that slips through the cracks. I remember getting a pack once, and the word, this was a long time ago, but the word vehemently was in there. And vehemently is a word that I think you hear people say. You don't often see it written. And I remember seeing this word going and I said vehem- vehemently, I think I said, like I just said it as it looked. And I remember uh, that I don't know who was producing, but they said, uh, Jen, was that vehemently you know, to say there? And it was just like one of those moments. I'm like, well, of course, it's vehemently vehemently isn't a word. <laughs> um, but these things happen. You know, I can't I just I can't think of a moment like there isn't a moment, you know, where I had, you know, a bloody nose or something like that. <laughs> I didn't realize it, but I think the embarrassing moments sort of make us human. I think people like watching up people who, you know, either you, you make a mistake once in a while, or you, you know, you have a fly lands in the middle of your face or whatever. It's it's a human moment, and I think that we are more. you I think our friend we are more attracted to people who are flawed as opposed to someone who's perfect all the time. You know sure. what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure.
1: You know, perfect shows aren't always the best shows. It's the ones with a little, with a little sandpaper, a little grit that I think can be more memorable than just. We can show our personality more and in, in our flawed moments. I think sometimes than just trying to be perfect all the time.
0: I always say uh, when there's uh, mix-ups and mess-ups in shows or whatever, yeah. uh, we take it so so seriously as if like you know, oh my god, this is it, the worst thing in the world. I yeah, mean, we with,
1: couldn't possibly
0: put this to air. Yeah, and within yeah. reason, of course. You don't want to have yeah. something really, really bad. But, like, yeah. I find it, if I'm at home and I'm a viewer and I'm not even, like, um, at not work there, I'm probably yeah. just laughing at the how bad that is. I'm not like, oh, my God, I'm never watching this network again. Like, I find yeah. mistakes are, to, with, like you said, within reason. Mistakes are pretty yeah. funny
1: yeah I totally agree, and it's and that's why I love a Jay and Dan show where they have the list at the end. Where did we screw up? It's one of the most Im- enjoyable parts of the show <laughs> is hearing where they screwed up and what oh, they yeah. did wrong. and yeah. um I think I would love to do that at the end of sports centers. Now, like you said, we can't be saying, you know, congratulations to the l a Lakers who just won the NBA title when they didn't. Yeah, like you know yeah, you yeah. can you can't be quite that wrong um but i i and and like when we were doing those shows from home you know and you'd see someone's cat walk behind them or someone's someone's kid like you know when brian hayes's kid came in the background when he was doing the radio show and saw it on tv those are the smile on brian's face when she walked in and had kind of clowned him it was so (laughs) genuine you know you saw his face as a dad rolling his eyes in the frustration of trying to work from home in a pandemic. And we could all relate to that. Yeah. Nobody can relate to a slick home set, uh, where everything's perfect and you don't make any errors. That's not real life. No. Exactly. So anyways, I agree with you. I think people, I think people like a little, a little human, uh, humanity with their sports broadcast.
0: Definitely. And, uh, I always worked alongside, uh, Andrew's on, uh, on the Jay and Dan show to yeah. compiling the, uh, you blew it lists at the end of the, of that show. And it's just so fun to like, and even sometimes it's just, it's just nitpicky. It's not even yeah. necessarily even that big of a mistake, but it's yeah. just funny to have like, a, Oh yeah, we screw up eight to 10 things tonight. Like it just, yeah. it's just like, well, Oh my God.
1: And this was like way back in the day when I used to host, uh, at least I host the 2am show. So on right now I used to do the 2am show every night the producer of course producer tim of jay J- dan he produced that show and he was a real stickler for today and tomorrow and how that show worked for anyone who still doesn't understand this is that we tape the show at 2 a.m and that show runs all morning long the morning loop so it was always like tim would never want us to say today or tonight it's like oh and now you know Tonight, the the Toronto Maple Leafs lost. You know, six two. We'd always have to say Thursday or Friday because you wouldn't want it to sound dated. That in the morning you're saying tonight, and somebody's watching the show at nine o'clock in the morning, going. Oh, man, this show's from last night. As if anyone is being fooled by that, <laughs> I think everybody understands that the show was done the night before and we're repeating it in the morning. But oh, my gosh, Tim was such a stickler for that. <laughs> and as soon as a today or a tomorrow would come out of our mouths, we'd just be like, Ah, oh, God, Tim's going to make us redo this whole block again. Because somebody said today, and the jig is going to be up, and now people are totally going to know that this isn't live, which <laughs> they knew anyway. But yeah, I don't mind it. I don't mind the eye today or tomorrow when
0: i uh I swear as a kid, I used to watch, uh, back then it was called Sports Desk, and I'd watch yep. it over and over and over. I swear I would watch it and, and uh, try to spot the differences. And uh, uh, obviously I'm wrong, but I thought, oh yeah, there was definitely a difference that time. Clearly yeah, there wouldn't be, no, but for some reason I was thinking that.
1: That's a hard no. There was never a difference. <laughs> no.
0: Uh, We talked about the Lofters earlier. I want to talk about that because I want to get on Big Brother Canada. I've tried like three or four different times. Uh, Uh It'd be be incredible. I love that show. Uh, I can't say I watched uh, the Lofters at all. What was that about? Was it sort of like a Big Brother type of uh, show?
1: Yeah, it was. um, So it was in 2001, and it was um, the first. So Big Brother and Survivor had just happened, their first year so it was like reality tv was this brand new thing um and then in canada this group uh, they were it was part of an alliance atlantis production they decided to do it in canada uh they're gonna have eight eight you know 20 somethings or teenagers i think the youngest guy was 19 living in a loft together all wired with cameras you can go online and watch us any time of the day see what's happening bedrooms kitchen whatever and the twist was that we were all people who wanted a job or a career in television so we were also hosting shows from this loft on oh. um, there was a show on um uh, what was it called oh, the life network that's what it was our show so there was a show called the lofters on the life network which was kind of like the show that was like this is what's happening in the loft um jennifer is not getting along with Arissa. Uh, so-and-so is dating so-and-so and oh, by the way, you can also tune in online and watch us host shows on movie or host shows um, on sex or, you know, relationships or whatever it was. So there was kind of this double component that it wasn't just like existing in a house and um, you know, who, like wearing bikinis and, and like flopping around and hot tubs and stuff in the background, which was also done. Um, <laughs> there was a little bit more of a, of a TV element to it. Um, but yeah, I was on it and it was sort of like this career crossroads where I was like 23, I guess, when I started auditioning for it. Uh, 24 when it happened. And it was nuts, Hound Dog. Like it was, again, this is early days. Um, this is before social media. Uh, So we would go online and, like, chat with the people who were watching us, um, which was weird, like, having someone watch you at home and then comment to you and you could comment back or they would just comment amongst each other watching us on the webcams. Um, It was invasive, but when you're in your early 20s, you think it's cool because you're so vain. You want everybody to watch what you're doing um, and you think everything you do is so important. Um, There were there was. You know, obviously, editors who would edit the storylines, which was really hard because my my role was like I was the ice queen, I was the bitch, I was the one who was like the climber, would climb really? over anyone. Oh yeah, um, and I'm like, well, that's not me. I don't think so. <laughs> I, 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 I don't know. Is that how people see me? And so everybody kind of got slotted into, you know, he's the gay guy, uh, he's the guy with the crazy spiky hair that's alternative um you know she's uh she's the the virgin from vancouver we had the french girl you know like so sort of everybody sort of fit their their stereotype of, of and everybody of course had nothing in common with the other person so the, they were they cast the show in a way that we would all not get along with each other because conflict of course produces the best television mm-hmm. um so yeah it was um it was it was fun it was tough it was tough to watch a show about you every night and think well that's not me um that's how I'm being represented on tv and um it was kind of tough on your family too because whenever I went home the cameras would come with and then your family and your boyfriend becomes part of the show um so it was it was a great experience. Um, but I don't even recognize the person I was on that show. I can't even watch the old episodes; they're so cringy. <laughs> uh,
0: I hope you're uh, good friends with. I, I, you said Arissa Arissa Cox, the host of Big yeah. Brother Canada. I didn't even yeah. think about this when I when I brought up Big Brother. But uh, I hope yeah. you guys are best friends, so then you can maybe get me on Big Brother Canada. Is that too, like, can that work?
1: Absolutely. I didn't realize that you were uh, that you're a so hot to try to get on the show. I've yeah, tried geez. it four times. Yeah. She's not only the host, but I believe she's the get, is an executive producer of that show now. I think she has executive producing credit. Um, yes, yeah, she and I were roommates in The Loft. And, oh of course, there was tons of tons of tension there. Oh, yeah, they made it seem like we were, uh, you know, uh, just big cat fights night after night. <laughs> um, but, yeah, she has done really well for herself.
0: Yeah, well, we, we got this cooking. Are you breaking news right now? You're guaranteeing I will be on the next season of Big Bear Canada?
1: In, well you know what this is what you do oh, you, have have crack, hook so dog. you need to have a hook like what's your what's your hook are you the are you going to be like are you going to be the the hot guy are you <laughs> Definitely gonna be not. like are you going to be like the sports guy are you going to be the guy who's like just finished i don't know you know what i mean like you the gotta creep? have a hook you can't are you going to be the creep? the creep? Exactly. Yep,
0: I think we got the that one. The
1: creep. Well, oh, what a wonderful role to play on, uh, on national <laughs> TV. Um, well, listen, if and when I ever run into Arisa, um not that anybody runs into anybody anymore during this pandemic, but I will definitely put in a good word that Hound Dog Harrison, a.k.a. Mike Harrison, would be an excellent cast on the next season.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. Uh so, Anything else uh, notable happened to you at all when you were on the lofters? Or?
1: <laughs> Doug, you know what? Here's a story for you. So my son, who was nine, says to me the other day, hey, mama, I Googled you. And I'm like, oh, my God, here <laughs> we go. He goes, I Googled you. And I was waiting for him to say that he saw a picture of me kissing another woman. But all he said was he saw pictures of me. And what the heck was I doing with my hair 20 years ago? He didn't recognize me because my (laughs) hair was brown and curly. So I was like, oh, thank God. We don't have to have this conversation yet. Dodge Um, the bullet. No, if you Google me, you'll see a very infamous... um, episode of the lofters where uh i was playing truth or dare all the girls we were hosting a show called uh, i forget what the show was called love i forget it was like a love sex and relationships show and um and we were playing spin the bottle oh no we were playing truth or dare sorry truth or dare same thing right truth or dare we were drinking truth or dare and my dare was to kiss Uh, One of the girls, uh, Valerie, the French Canadian, she was very, um, she was very sensual and voluptuous and lovely. And, uh, and my dare was to kiss her. (laughs) Okay. Oh my God. (laughs) Check that out. And I, I think back now, like 20 years ago, that was so scandalous. (laughs) Like two straight girls uh, having a passionate kiss. Oh my gosh. Let's, let's rewind it. Let's slow it down. Let's go (laughs) frame by frame. Let's really dissect this. It was very scandalous at the time. And, you know, here we are 20 years later, still talking about it. Um, I remember when I got hired at TSN a couple months into it, Keith Pelly called me into his office and he was the president at TSN at the time. And I was like, "Oh my god." So Keith calls me into his office and I'm like, "Uh Mr. Pelly, hi. How, is everything okay?" And he was like, "I just want to let you know I've seen a few guys in the newsroom and they've brought up the pic- <laughs> you know, the video of you <laughs> um kissing the girl from the lofters And I'm like, "Yeah." And he's like, I just want to let you know that we, you know, when we hired you, we knew this, we knew that this existed, and and I'm just like, yeah, like what what are we doing here right, right. now? Yeah. And he was just, are you okay with them? Like, and I'm just like, yeah, like come on, like it's not a big deal. No. Um. And but it was a big deal back then. Like I th- I feel like but Donna and Brittany kissed like a year after that, and that was a big deal. And we were just so. I don't know. We were just so closed-minded, I guess, and so titillated by really inconsequential things back then. The fact that it was a big deal, and I will, um, and who knows, maybe I'll never have to have the conversation with my son. Maybe it'll just be so normal to him. He'll just be like, who is that girl you were kissing? Oh, really? Do we know her? Oh, you know what I mean? Like, maybe mm-hmm. it won't be a big deal. But I guess when you see your mom kissing anyone other than your dad, it's kind of a big deal for a kid, so... <laughs> I'll let you know when we have to have the conversation.
0: <laughs> I mean, uh, if that's uh, all, if that's the worst thing he has to Google, then you're totally fine because that's uh, honestly it's, uh, it's not yeah. a big deal, right?
1: Well, we didn't have social media when I was in my early, when I was in my teens and twenties. Thank God. So this will be the worst thing I have to deal with.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, there's, there's definitely times uh, I think about my favorite golfer being John Daly. Like yeah. he had a wild, crazy life, but like that was pre-social media. I can't yeah. even imagine. Like, oh my, God. No, he wouldn't, he wouldn't it wasn't, have existed.
1: It wasn't documented. There's no video of it. There was no no one's sticking cameras in his faces at the strip clubs or at the bars when he's like super drunk, falling down outside. There's, there was none of that. Right. And I think that that was kind of a, there's something to be said for that, for people's privacy. And you know, when you think of like the cancel culture right now, like if, if, I mean, even Tiger Woods, (laughs) like how did Tiger Woods get as far as he did? And that was during social media. We even had that. So yeah, it's, uh, it's changed a lot.
0: Yeah, no, no question about that. Uh, Well, thank you so much, Jennifer, for being on the podcast. It was uh, amazing, and... uh We'll uh, we'll talk soon. Uh, perhaps after I've won uh, the Big Brother Canada uh, season, and I will absolutely. You
1: know. You've got me intrigued. I should maybe watch it this season because I hear it's really good. People say that Big Brother Canada actually is better than the American version. Like they're really
0: yeah. The the well, Big Brother Canada they they had the season and then they had to cancel it during the pandemic. That right. season was wasn't the best because it was like people were just leaving willingly, not because of that. They just wanted to quit uh, the game. But yeah, normally, uh, generally speaking, I'd say the Big Brother Canada is better. Uh, yeah. The American one—it's uh, all stars right now, which is very interesting uh, to have all the you know legendary players of the game competing. Oh,
1: but I see. I'd say,
0: I'd say Big Bar can is a little bit better because they try harder. They know they need to be a little bit more yeah. out there. Yeah. Whereas the yeah. states, they sort of rest on their laurels a little bit.
1: Well, dude, if I ever run into Aressa, you better be better be sure that i will put in a good word for you my friend
0: (laughs) thank you so much appreciate it if they
1: can get wendy's as a sponsor you'll be all set they do
0: they have wendy's as a sponsor (laughs) that that, that's every episode
1: that's a a match made in heaven (laughs) oh my god
0: holy crap (laughs) it's all coming together perfectly
1: good times brother (laughs) thanks for having me on
0: thank you it was a lot of fun we'll talk uh, we'll talk to you soon that was an absolute blast talking with jennifer hedger she's so funny and had so many great stories. I especially loved hearing about the t-shirt cannon fiasco and the Olympics with John Montgomery burying that beer. I can only hope that somehow she does run into Big Brother Canada host Arissa Cox and then remembers to tell her to cast me on the season because it would be absolutely incredible. That was one of my favorite interviews I've ever done on this podcast. It felt like each time I was going to bring up a point, she led me right into it perfectly, which was amazing. You can follow Jennifer on Twitter, at Jennifer Hedger and at Jen Hedger on Instagram. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. I'm excited to bring them to you guys most weeks if I'm not too busy with work. Don't forget to leave a review on the pod and be sure to follow the podcast on Instagram at hdogpod. And if you'd like to be a sponsor of the pod, drop me a line at Hound Dog Harrison with one D on Instagram and Twitter or email me at mistermikeyharrison at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening to episode 35 of the H-Dog Pod. Bang! This has been the H-Dog Pod with host Michael the Hound Dog Harrison. Bang 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 bang